Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Luke chapter 9, uh, beginning verse number 37, and we'll just read, begin reading verse 37 through 42 to begin with. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met Jesus. Behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he's my only child. And lo, a spirit takes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it tears him that he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring your son hither, bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming, the devil threw him down and tore him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. In today's continuation of our series, Red Letters, we're going to pay special attention to four different areas. Number one, the necessity of discernment. Number two, having the right perception of Jesus. Number three, the encouragement from Jesus to keep our spirits right. And number four, the cost of discipleship. So we're going to try to go through the balance of the chapter uh, over the next few minutes here this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you that we have the opportunity to break your word down, to learn things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Touch me to be able to effectively minister with power and with anointing, we pray. Touch people's ears to hear, their hearts to receive. May our understanding be enlightened as the scriptures are unfolded to us today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. In this particular passage of scripture in Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 42, we find an account where uh, there was a young man that was demon-possessed. He was foaming at the mouth, and, and the Bible said that the demon would bruise him, that the demon would throw him down, that the demon would tear him, and whatnot. Now, with that said, and obviously Jesus uh, helped this young man get set free, but with that said, I want to just kind of delve for just a few moments into this thing about sickness and disease. Now, and here's what I want to say. First of all, some sickness is genetically based and some sickness is medically based. And then some sickness is imposed by a demon spirit. It's there. In this particular passage of Scripture, we see where it was imposed by a demon spirit. Now, what happens if we're suffering from sicknesses that are in our genetics? Say our father had it, our grandfather had it, our great-grandfather had it. What happened? Well, that's the purpose of regeneration. When we give our life to Jesus, old things are passed away, all things are become new, and we experience, we believe by faith, the process of regeneration. Now, break that word down for just a moment. Regeneration, regening, regening. Regening the generation, regeneration. So, just because daddy had it, just because grandfather had it, just because my great-grandfather had it, doesn't mean I have to have it. Jesus can set me free from that. Jesus can heal me from that. So I'm not bound by the diseases that are supposedly in my genetic structure because when I gave my life to Jesus, 
old things were passed away, all things were become new, and I received the process of regeneration as I became a child of God, just like you. Now, there are sicknesses that are just demon possession out the gate. There are sometimes when the devil makes you sick. Sometimes it was the hamburger. That's true. If you know you're not supposed to be eating greasy hamburgers and you eat them for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, guess what? You're going to get sick, right? And you did it to yourself. What in the devil? What in genetics? You did it to yourself. Hallelujah. Amen. If all you ever do is eat, well, uh, And so, so here's the point that, I'm, that I want to make with this. Whether it's genetics, whether it's medical imbalance, whether it's something that Satan has put on you as, as something that's trying to defeat you and destroy you, it doesn't matter what it is, it's going to take faith for you to receive the miracle that you need. The Bible said that the just live by faith, and we can receive what we need from God by faith. Now, the Bible says this man, uh, they came to him, and the Bible said that he cried out, and he said, Look up all my son, he's my only child. And the disciples in verse number 40 said, the Bible said, we, they came, said, We asked your disciples to cast him out, and they couldn't. And Jesus made this statement. He said, O oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring your son to me. Number one, Jesus was getting tired of a faithless approach to sickness. He had already commissioned the disciples. He had already told the disciples, Go out, I'm giving you power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to cleanse the leper, to raise the dead, to preach the kingdom of God. He had already told the disciples to go do that. And so they, they went out and they came back and they testified of the great things that had happened. And now all of a sudden, nothing's happening. when they're Why? Because they dropped the ball. Listen, faith is now. The Bible said now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we, faith is always in the now. It's always in the present. You're always working on your faith. You're always working to build faith. You're always working to receive faith, and you're always working to activate faith. And so Jesus, in response to what they said about the disciples not being able to cast them out, says, O faithless, and then He says, O perverse generation. So Jesus was saying that a faithless generation was a perverse generation. Isn't that what he was saying? Oh, faithless and perverse generation. Then he said, how long am I going to be with you? And how long am I going to suffer you? Now I want you to slip down to verse number 50 for just a moment. Jesus said unto him, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. This was the response that Jesus gave to the disciples when they were finding fault with the fact that there was someone casting out devils in the name of Jesus and the disciples looked at this person and they said, quit doing it, you're not following us, you're not with us. This proves to you that there's power in the name of Jesus. This proves to you that there's power in faith. And so they come to Jesus and they're tattletaling on somebody who wasn't one of the disciples, who wasn't following them, but was using the name of Jesus to cast out devils and to heal the sick. And Jesus looked at the disciples and He said, don't tell Him to stop. If He's not against us, He's for us. 
So they were upset because there was someone who wasn't even following along with them that was doing what Jesus got upset at them for not doing. And that just goes to show you that we need to make sure, we need to make sure that we allow the spirit of faith to flow through us to minister to other people. Now we go to verse number 44. Jesus once again reminded the disciples that he would eventually have to die a redemptive death. They were all amazed at the mighty power of God while they wondered everyone at all things which Jesus did. He said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. Now, now, why is this passage of Scripture important? Why did he squeeze it in here? I think it's because the disciples' perception of Jesus was wrong. They were thinking that Jesus would come as the Messiah, that He would take over, that He would deliver them from the Roman government, that He would right all the world's wrongs, and He would revert everybody back to under the law. They were not prepared for the fact that Jesus was going to come, die as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, satisfy and fulfill the law, uh, button up the law, and then open a dispensation of grace. They were prepared for the fact that the Messiah would be crucified, that the Messiah would be killed, that the Messiah... They, weren't, they thought that He would come and just take over. And so their perception of Jesus was wrong. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, He said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't say, I've come to overthrow the Roman government. I've come to right the world's wrongs. I've come to do... No, He came to offer redemption. He came to offer salvation. So that leads me to the question that I, ask, I have to ask myself, and I think we need to ask ourselves. How many times have we had the wrong perception of Jesus? How many times? Our culture treats him like a fairy tale in a storybook somewhere. That's what our culture does. His power is denied and even preached against in the pulpits of America and many places of the world today. What do you mean by that? I mean, they'll preach about salvation, they'll preach about the cross, but they'll tell you that miracles don't work for today. They'll tell you that there's no prophecy for today. They'll tell you that the move of the Holy Spirit is not for today. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Some versions of the gospel even treat him like an ATM machine. Amen? So how can we have the right perception of Jesus? Here's how we can have the right perception of Jesus. We can get into relationship with Him. We can just fall in love with Jesus. That's what I did as a young man. I just fell in love with Jesus. Actually, as a little boy, I just fell in love with Jesus. And I want to tell you something. People could not theologically talk me out of the fact that I love Jesus because of the relationship I had with Jesus. As time has went on, I've seen things possibly that I thought that weren't exactly right. And there are times when I've had to stand up and say, you know what? I made a mistake on that and here's what the Bible teaches on that. And through the years, I've had to admit things like that. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, the reason that I serve Jesus is because of he's a wonderful friend. The Bible said that sticks closer than a brother. He's not going to leave us and he's not going to forsake us. And so, in order to have the right perception of Jesus, we need to be in a a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that begins by us asking Him into our heart and into our life to be the Savior of our soul and the Lord of our life. Then we go on to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. 
And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And that village did not receive him. Why? Because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. So the Samaritans did not welcome Jesus. They did not welcome his entourage. And the reason was simple, because they found out that their final destination was Jerusalem. There was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews because they viewed them as mean-spirited racists who were arrogant from the word go. And the Jews had a hatred towards anyone who wasn't a Jew. And they referred to the Samaritans in one place even as unclean dogs. Now, would you be friends with someone who thought that you were an unclean dog? You can say yes or no. <laughs> well, I mean, why would they love each other if this is the kind of relationship that they have? So Jesus wanted to rest in their city. The Samaritans said no. No, the disciples who were Jews reacted the way they were taught to react to Samaritans. And they looked at Jesus and they said, Can we call fire down from heaven that he would consume these people? Jesus looks at them and he says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. So what he was saying in modern vernacular, he was saying, straighten up your act. He's saying, why would you be like that? And then he goes on in verse number 56 and he explains it. He said, for the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And the resolution that Jesus had, the Bible said, and they just went to another village. Now, there's a fleshly side of me that would say, well, bless God, I paid for that room at that inn and that's where I'm going to stay. There's also a fleshly side of me. Now, let me give you an, a little example, a little personal example about keeping the right spirit. Thursday, we were coming back from Dallas and um, we were standing there uh, at the gate. We were getting ready to go. And uh, we, we always check in like the day before, something like that on our phone. And so we got these little fancy apps, you know, and all we have to do is just put our phone up there and it'll click green and they'll say, welcome, Mr. Vorse, or welcome, Miss Vorse, or whatever. Well, Donna was in front of me and she put her phone up there and it clicked and they said, welcome, Miss Vorse. She goes through. There's this lady over beside us that stepped in. She put her phone in there and it went red. She pulled it out like that, looked around, and they told her, stand over here. So I just naturally put my phone up and the lady put her hand over that thing, and she said, just wait a minute. I said, oh, I said, I'm sorry. I said, uh, I, I thought I could go through. I said, that's my wife. She said, well, you're not going to lose your wife. And I looked at her, and I felt that flesh start going, you know, you know. And I looked at her, I said, well, I'm sorry, ma'am. I said, she gets nervous when she flies. She looked at me, and she said, hmm. And she looked down, she said, 
your bag's too big. We're going to have to check it. I said, okay. And I walked around the corner, and Donna was standing around the corner, and she looked at me, and she said, John, breathe. <laughs> so I'm walking down that little ramp, you know, getting ready to go to the ramp into the airplane, and, and, and I looked at Donna, and I said, you know what? I said, we have traveled with that bag over and over and over and over. I said, gee, she just a jerk. She said, breathe. Just breathe. Just breathe. I said, okay. And so it was kind of nice, you know, not to have to drag that bag down through the middle of the plane and all that kind of stuff. And I just sat down there and had plenty of room. Well, I had the perfect opportunity to get kicked off the airplane. <laughs> there was a part of me that wanted to raise a ruckus. And I just finally, I looked at Donna and I said, well, I said, I've just concluded she's a man-hater. She said, breathe. I said, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She probably just had a bad day. Well, this is what was going on with Jesus. Jesus said, you know what? No big deal. They don't want to accept us. You don't need to let that rile you up. You don't need to let it get you crazy. You don't need to let it get you all angry just because things aren't going your way. We'll just go to another village. We'll just go somewhere else. We'll just go spend the night somewhere else. You know, there are some battles that just aren't worth fighting. There are some things that's just not worth engaging in, and this was one of those things. And so this is what Jesus was teaching them here. He was teaching them that you need to have the right spirit, and you need to always remember that the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life. In other words, call fire down from heaven, but the Son of Man came to seek and to save those which are lost. I read in John 3, 16, where the Bible said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the love that Jesus had was for every nation, for every culture, for every color, for every creed. When we get to heaven, it's going to be the most multicultural place you've ever seen on the, on the face of the earth or in heaven. It's, it's going to be ultimately multicultural because Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Then we go down to verse number 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. So what Jesus was saying is if you're going to be my disciple, there are times when it might be uncomfortable. There are times when things may not go the way that you want them to go. And it might be just a little bit uncomfortable if you're going to be my disciple. Then he said to another one, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me say something about this. Your salvation has already been purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus. You cannot purchase salvation. 
That's already been taken care of by Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus became the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He shed his blood. The Bible said that he removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. And God remembers those sins against us no more. The Bible said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's Romans chapter 3 and verse number 23. Every single one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin will cost you something. It'll cost you eternity without God. The wages of sin is death. But on the other side of that scripture, we have a choice to make. The Bible said, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I choose death or life. Heaven or hell? That's, that's the choices that the Scripture gives us. And then the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The only perfect person who ever walked the face of this earth was Jesus. That's it. That's it. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. I know you love her, but your wife's not perfect. And your husband, I know you love him, but he's not perfect. And let me tell you something, it's hard for me to swallow this pill, but even my grandchildren aren't perfect. There's nobody perfect. Nobody perfect except Jesus. So if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now let me back up on that scripture for just a moment. The Bible said, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. So who are we confessing those sins to? We're confessing them to God, aren't we? We don't confess our sins to one another. That's not biblical. The Bible says that we confess our faults to one another so that we can pray for one another. But why would I confess something to you that's a sin that you don't have the power to do anything about? So we confess our sins to God. We confess our faults to one another and we confess our sins to God. If we confess our sins to God, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What happens when we get cleansed from all unrighteousness? We become righteous. When you take away everything that's unrighteous, all you have left is righteous. You see that? That's why the Bible said that we are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So, so how do I give my life to Jesus? Very simple. I mean, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we can be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so all of these preachers that get up here and they give you these great big long list of do's and don'ts in order to be saved, the Bible said we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we're saved. That's what the Word of God says. The rest of it is discipleship. 
The rest of it is putting off the old man, putting on the new man. The rest of it is laying aside the old and putting on the new. The rest of it is growing in God, God revealing things to us, helping us grow in Him. So it's discipleship. That's what it is. The rest of it is discipleship, becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So with all of that said, let me say this. You do not have to pay for your salvation. Jesus already paid for your salvation. But if you're going to live for God, it's going to cost you something. We'll say that again. You cannot buy your way into heaven. You can't do it. You can't purchase your salvation. Jesus purchased it on Calvary. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we can't purchase our way into heaven. We can't do that. So salvation doesn't cost us anything. It costs God the life of His Son. So it's already bought and paid for. But if we're going to live for God, if we're going to get involved in the kingdom of God, if we're going to be a disciple, if we're going to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, that, my friend, will cost you something. And so this is what Jesus was talking to them about here. He said to them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's in verse 23 of that very same chapter. Nine, chapter 9, verse 23 of the book of Luke. What did it say again? Let's look at it again. He said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, I don't have to pray every day. If you love the Lord... You can't help but pray every day. How are you going to take up your cross daily? How are you going to deny yourself? Well, I just don't feel like reading my Bible. Deny your feelings. Pick up your Bible and let it feed your spirit and you'll feel better in 10 minutes than you would have felt in 30 minutes if you would have just left it laying there. Let it feed your spirit. Let it help you grow in God. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. Deny yourself Take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. And Jesus said there would be times that would be uncomfortable. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That's what the scripture says. Then he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. We read that already. And then Jesus told him, Let the dead bury the dead. And you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then in verse number 61, this another one said, I'll follow you, but let me go tell everyone at home goodbye. And Jesus said, No man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's a couple of things here that I want to point out and then we'll be through this morning. Number one, Jesus was teaching them if you're going to be a fully devoted and developing follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the definition of a disciple, then you're going to have to make God number one priority in your life. He has to be number one. Listen, He's not telling you don't love your family. He's not telling you don't love your mom and your dad and your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles and your spouse and your kids and your grandkids. He's not telling you don't love them. He's just saying don't love them more than you love me. He wants to be number one. He wants to have number one priority in your life. And then the second thing that I think he's trying to teach them is that we need to focus. And once we set our focus, the Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. 
And so we need to make sure that our focus is what it needs to be on. And he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, the Bible said, is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you a personal example of this. When I was a child, there was a man that lived down the street from us. Actually, we lived in a rock house in Diamond, Missouri, and, and our, our driveway was very long. Maybe it seemed a lot longer than it was because I was very little. But I remember going down that driveway and across to a field, and Brother Wimbish, we called him Brother Wimbish. That's a crazy name, isn't it? Brother Wimbish. But Brother Wimbish was there, and he had a team of mules, and he had one of them old plows. And sure, he had an old tractor and everything, but he just liked to get out there with those mules and all of that. He would get his exercise. So here I am. I'm about eight years old, nine years old, and uh, I'm watching him uh, plow the furrow, and he's coming along there, and he gets down, and he, you know, hi you know, and all this, and turns them all around and everything. And he looks at me, and he says, you want to try it, young man? And I said, well, I guess. And so... I picked up the reins and I went, hi and they took off and I reached up and <laughs> grabbed that thing like that. And so we're going like this all the way down through that field. So we got to the other side and he was laughing along, you know, coming along behind us, laughing and encouraging me. Come on, you can get it, Jonathan. You can get it. I wasn't big as nothing. Come on, you can get it. We got down there and I turned around and all of his rows were so straight. But mine was just like... And I turned and I looked at him and I said, how do you do that? He said, well, number one, I'm bigger than you. I said, I know, I know. He said, but number two, he said, when you get ready, when that plow goes into the earth, he said, you pick a spot on the other end of that field and you just fix your eyes on that spot and you plow straight towards that spot. That's what he said. So we got to the other side of the field. I said, let me try it again. And so we did. And when we got to, after we got through and I plowed the furrow, I turned around and looked. And there was a little bit of this, but it wasn't nearly as bad as it was the first time. Through the years, when I've read this scripture, my mind has always went back to that experience. It says, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. If you're in the world and out, if you're in the church, back in the world. And then back in the church and then back in the world. If you're living for God, living for the devil. Living for God, living for the devil. Guess what you're doing? You're looking back. That's what you're doing. You just keep looking back. Like that. And it's very hard to prep a field and get a harvest when the furrows are all like that. So God is saying, focus on me. What do I focus on? The Word of God. It's the focus of your life, the Word of God. Let the Word of God reach into your heart. Let the Word of God reach into your life. Let it be your guide. Let it be your corrector. Let it be your direction. Let the Word of God have primary place in your life. Elevate God to where He belongs as the priority of your life. Having problems with your spouse? Both of you just fall in love with God again and, and just get closer and closer to God. The closer you get to God, the closer you'll get to each other. Having problems in your business? Give it over to God. Reach out to God. Get involved in kingdom economics. Do what God's Word says to do. Having problems with your children, with your grandchildren? Turn them over to the Lord. 
Allow the Lord to get involved in your heart and allow the Lord to get involved in your life. Here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Give your life to Jesus. Don't just do it as a token. Do it for real. Do it for real. Give your life to Jesus. Let God call the shots. Let Him change you, transform you, guide you and direct you. You say, well, I like who I am. Well, He's probably not going to change that. He made you who you are. God made you who you are. He's probably just going to help you be a better you. That's probably what it's all about. Well, there are things that I just don't want to give up. God will fix that. Why don't you just quit worrying about things like that? Just surrender to God and say, okay, God, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to let you guide me and direct me. And I'm going to follow you and be more than just a Christian. I'm going to be a disciple. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.